welcome you back for part two. Amen. Amen. I had all kinds of things going with this uh, part two, but I think we've narrowed it down so that I can get you out of here before tomorrow morning. Glory be to God, you know, so it's, it's good in that. Yeah, if I must. Because some of you have to go to work, and then some of us don't. <laughs> Amen. But I'm glad I'm glad that, to see you. What I want to do first is that you, re, you all remember the cornbread story, so we don't have to go through that again. Uh, one of my more embarrassing kitchen disasters is, is the cornbread story, so we won't go through that. But we are going to review the terms that we had last week, just so we know where we are. The terms that we had last week are can't or cannot, may or may not, and then we we also did a definition of faith and how we're using that. And I was pretty specific, or I shouldn't say, well, yeah, I was pretty specific about the words that I was using when I say can't and when I say may, because the can't is the physical Thing that can't be done it physically cannot be done and may is allowing for permission that we allow permission for something to be done and uh, I left you guys last week with the can't that we can't mix doubt fear or our own ways inconsistency or pride with our faith because it turns it into a type of faith that God does not recognize and cannot acknowledge or bless and that's where we left off last week with that. But I can't leave you in that place, you know. I got to get you into the good place. So that's where we are tonight. We're going to be in the good place tonight, amen. We are going to be into the place that says what we may mix with our faith. And the may there is permission. We have permission from God to mix these things with our faith. And it's like any recipe. You know, whoever makes the recipe is giving you permission to mix certain things. And sometimes recipes will give you substitutes, which is kind of nice. I make a pound cake, and it calls for buttermilk. The pound cake actually calls for a, a cup of buttermilk. I've yet to be able to buy just one cup of buttermilk. So I always have excess buttermilk. So my friend Renee, who Googles everything, the minute you say something to Renee about something, she goes, let's Google that. She Googled how you can make your own buttermilk. You can make your own buttermilk. It's just a, a cup of milk and about a tablespoon, I believe it is, of vinegar. And then you let it sit for five minutes, and you have buttermilk, supposedly. Now, yeah, milk and vinegar, and that's how you get buttermilk. Now, the question that I asked myself, even though they said that's how you make it, is how is that going to react with everything else in the cake? Because the cake calls for buttermilk, and they make that, and it has certain things and certain reactions go on in the cake. When I add the butter and the vanilla and the eggs and the flour and the sugar, like Mr. Keith said, you got to crack some eggs to make a cake. But... I then add this cup of buttermilk. So I'm wondering that when I add milk and vinegar to my cake, what's going to happen? I'm not so sure that I'll ever do that. I'm just not sure. Because I'm not sure I have permission 
to do that. You know, I'm really not sure I have permission to do that from the person who developed the recipe of whether this will work. Unless, of course, I'm just going to eat it myself and not share it with anybody because if it doesn't work out well, then we've got another kitchen disaster that I can share with you at another time about something. Amen? Amen. But that's what I'm talking about. What do we have permission to add to our faith? And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And, the, you know, and I came up with a lot of things. I think we have we we have permission to add a number of things to our faith. God has given us that permission. The Father has given it to us. And he's demonstrated that we have it in his word. So the five that I have are the five that I came up with. I told Miss Gladys this evening, I came up with two more that I didn't add because I think I could start adding. And like I said, you'd be here till tomorrow morning and headed for your jobs from here. But you can probably come up with some things that we can add to our faith. And if you do, and I don't hit them here, plus my two, and you come up with some new ones, let me know what you come up with. All right? So we we can then edify and teach one another. Amen? But the first one that I came up with is the word you heard. The gospel or the word does not profit unless it is properly mixed Profit unless it is properly mixed and blended together with faith. Let me say that again. The gospel or the word does not profit unless it is properly mixed and blended together with faith. Hebrews 4 2 says, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So that right there tells us and gives us permission that we can take the word that we hear and mix that with our faith, all right? And then it doesn't become something that is unrecognizable. It still is faith. It is still what will move God on our behalf because we are mixing it with his word, his truth, or the gospel, in other words, okay? So we, we have that permission. Joshua, let's, and we're going to look at, at Joshua 2, verses 1 through 10, because the example of that is Rahab. I love the story of Rahab. You know, she's one of the few women that make it into the genealogy of Jesus Christ. If you look at the genealogy of Jesus She is one of the two that make it. And I love this story. And it says, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Achaia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of the harlot named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. So, you know, she basically is saying, 
go on this wild goose chase after these guys. She lied to them, in other words, you know. You know, and people get off into this thing about her lying and all this other stuff. You know, God doesn't need us to, to lie, but she's not a believer. She's not a believer. But if we continue and read this, it says in verse 6, But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to Jordan, to the fords, and as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to, them, to, said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. Verse 10, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. For we have heard the word that she heard, she mixed with her faith. She was not a believer, but she heard about God and what God had done. And she's mixing this with her faith. And she she says to them, we heard this. And she heard it and she believed it. And she her actions lined up with that belief. Because later on, if you look at that, she says to them, this is what I want from you. And they said, okay. You know, lower down that red cord. We'll know that's your house. When we come in, we'll bypass you. So she had heard as a non-believer. She wasn't there when he parted the Red Sea. She wasn't there when they overthrew the kings. But she heard. And she mixed that with her faith. Galatians 3.15 says, Oh, foolish 3, 1 through 5. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly betrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? It's all about what you're hearing. You can mix what you're hearing, the word that you're hearing with faith, because we can hear some other things too. And if we, we mix that with faith, that's not what we, what, we, what we got. My cornbread looked like cornbread. But when I put it in my mouth, and it actually didn't smell like cornbread either. Because, you know, when you make cornbread, it has a certain smell to it. It didn't smell like cornbread. But it definitely wasn't cornbread when I tasted it. So, you know, it may have looked like cornbread. No, it didn't taste. Yeah, it just looked like it. Okay, so, you know, we mix these things, the things we can't, it looks like faith, but it isn't. But here are things we can mix, and it doesn't change 
faith. It doesn't change what it looks like. What it does is it enhances it. It enhances it. So we've got the word that you heard. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we've got, we know that we can mix our faith with the word of God that we hear. Amen? Amen. The next thing that we, we have permission to mix with our faith is obedience. Obedience. We need to mix obedience with our faith. And we need to mix the, our obedience to God, which is Hebrews 11:8, which says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. And, you know, we, many of us know the story, but, you know, God had actually told Abraham, get out from among your kindred. That means leave, your, leave, leave the family. But Abraham took him, you know, but he obeyed and he went. He went. See, Abraham in the beginning was into this partial obedience thing. And, I, you know, this is where God's mercy comes in. Because partial obedience isn't obedience at all. It's just partial obedience. It's not obedience to God. You know, as Pastor has told us on many occasions, obedience is do this, yes, sir, I'm gone. That's obedience, you know. So, so partial obedience then mercy comes in and covers us and go, okay, they're going to get there. Because we know Abraham did get there. When God said, take your son, your only son, Abraham said, I'm out. We're out. Get the wood, boy. <laughs> you know, and let's head on out. You know, so he did get there. But obedience to God is necessary. In Romans for uh, verse 16 it says this is why the fulfillment of God's promise depends entirely on trusting God and his way this is in the message I found it in the message by the way and then simply embracing him and what he does God's promises arrives as pure gift that's the only way everyone can be sure to get in on it those who keep the religious traditions and those who have never heard of them for Abraham is the father of us all. He is not our racial father. That's reading the story backwards. He is our faith father. We call Abraham father not because he got God's attention by living like a saint, but because God made something out of Abraham when he was a nobody. Isn't that what we've always read in the scripture? God saying to Abraham, I set you up as a father of many peoples. Abraham was first named father and then became a father because he dared to trust God to do what only God could do. Raise the dead to life with a word making something out of nothing. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw. He couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. So we need to have obedience to God. Because we know what God is able to do. And we trust in what God is able to do. So we need to be in obedience to him. Abraham didn't focus on his own impotence and say it's hopeless. This hundred-year-old body could never father a child. 
nor did he survey Sarah's decades of infertility and give up. He didn't tiptoe around God's promise, asking cautiously, skeptically questions. He plunged into the promise and came up strong, ready for God. Wait a minute. Hold on here. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm good. Sorry. Sure that God would make good on what he had said. That's why it said Abraham was declared fit before God by trusting God to set him right. But it's not just Abraham. It's also us. The same thing gets said about us when we embrace and believe the one who brought Jesus to life when the conditions were equally hopeless. The sacrifice Jesus made us fit for God, set us right with God. So when we obey what God is asking us to do, then we too are lined up and fit and ready for what God has for us. Amen. So we need to obey God. Now, sometimes we, you know, people, I hear Christians go, you know, well, I'm not paying my taxes because, you know, I'm not a citizen here. Okay. You know, I'm not going to do this because I'm not really a citizen here. My home is in heaven and you know since you know that's where i'm going and all this other stuff i'm not doing any of what they say here on earth well according to the word of god they're wrong so they are then in disobedience so they're mixing something crazy with their faith and they're not going to receive from god because god says that we're to obey be in obedience to authority over us Romans 13, 1 through 7, in the message says, and it starts off in the message right there, it says, be a good citizen. You know, we're in this political thing, and people are talking about they're they not voting. They're not voting. You know, I'm not voting because, you know, these people, you know, all of them are bad. Okay. Okay. But we as a nation are called to vote. You know, granted, it's a privilege. It's a privilege, but it's a privilege folk died for. You know, we, you know, especially African Americans, but women too. Because I watch programs set in certain times, and I just finished my Hamilton biography. Women didn't have any rights. You know, once you married somebody, then this person became, you kind of came like property. All that you had was theirs. Their opinion was your opinion. You know, if they decided to beat you, that was okay too, you know, because a man could beat his wife and all this other crazy stuff. So we now have certain rights and privileges, and we need to, we need to express those. We need to, to, to go out and, and do what we're called to do because the Bible says be a good citizen. Now, all right, I'm going to put you all on the spot. How many of you speed? All right, put your hand up. Put your hand up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, why I said, that's why I said mercy. Then mercy just kind of flows all over us at that point. Because we are just like, why are they going so slow? What? Oh, my goodness. I think I told you this. I don't know if I told you guys this or not, but last 
not last Sunday, Sunday before last, coming to church. Um, I come up Kelly Drive, and they block off Kelly Drive for different uh, activities. And when they make the detour, if you don't know where you're going, people get confused because they take you through the park. Because Fairmount Park stretches across the city of Philadelphia, which a lot of people don't know. So when they take you off Kelly Drive, they're going to take you through the park. But it's pretty clear cut. But people have a tendency, if they don't know, they get nervous. And they start creeping. And I'm behind them. And I'm like, follow the detour. Follow the, you know, because they got these detours on. But granted, they're far and few between. I'm like, then just follow the traffic. But put your foot on the gas. What are you doing? Well, it got so bad that I hit my horn. I usually never honk anybody. But I don't know what was going on Sunday. I laid on the horn like, ah, you know, like, get out of the way. I was like, you know, and it was like I was having an out-of-body experience. I was not being a good citizen is what was going on. I was definitely not being a good citizen at that point. I w- no, they probably weren't. They were trying to find a parking space for the regatta probably. But I was on my way to church. And I was not being a good citizen. And I told my kids, I said, you know, the problem with that is the lesson you learn afterwards, you want to find the person and apologize. But that, that, that first time to make that good impression was gone. So, so now, whenever I think about laying on my horn, you know, my hand is like, I go, remember, remember two Sundays ago, you weren't a good citizen. So, That's why I say we need to be good citizens because God is saying we can mix that, being a good citizen. All governments are under God insofar as there is peace and order. It's God's order, so live responsibly as a citizen. If you're irresponsible to the state, then you're irresponsible with God, and God will hold you responsible. Duly constituted authorities are only a threat if you're trying to get by with something. Decent citizens should have nothing to fear. Do you want to be on good terms with the government? Be a responsible citizen and you'll get on just fine. The government working to your advantage, but if you're breaking the rules right and left, watch out. The police aren't there just to be admired in their uniforms. God also has an interest in keeping order, and he uses them to do it. That's why we, you must live responsibly, not just to avoid punishment, but also because it's the right way to live. Here you go. That's also why you pay your taxes so that any orderly way of life can be maintained. Fulfill your obligations as a citizen. Pay your taxes. Pay your bills. Respect your leaders. I love the pay your bills one. That was the one, you know, because people be making bills and dodging stuff and declaring bankruptcy. And, and they say bankruptcy is legal, and, and it is. And if you have to declare bankruptcy, and you know, go for it. But it says pay your bills. We need to pay our bills. And if you can't pay it, call them. I heard Keith Moore say the same thing as Marty did one time. 
Call them. Beat them to the punch and say, I can't pay you. Is there something we can work out? You know, he goes, he goes, they'll respect that more than anything else versus them having to call you and then you dodging and ditching and not answering your phone. You know, scared to pick up the telephone. So we need to pay our bills. We need to be in obedience to authority over us. There are three benefits to obedience. Prosperity. Joshua 1, 7 says, Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. So one benefit to obedience is prosperity. Good success is another. This book of the law, verse 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So the second benefit to obedience is good success. And then God's presence will be with us wherever we go. You know, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen. So it's like wherever you go, I'll go with you. And, you know, that that kind of got me, you know, because um, in in the early days when I was uh, after I just graduated from college, you know, I was still going to the dance clubs, you know, and I would go and I would dance, you know, and everything. And then I got to the point where I wasn't dancing. I was just going and I was leaning up against the rail. And I would lean up against the rail all night. And one night, this guy said to me, do something. Because he would watch me weekend after weekend. And he goes, do something. And I thought about it. And then, you know, I heard the scripture that said, you know, you take God wherever you go. I was like, oh, Lord, I got God in the dance club. I was like, oh, Lord, no, we got to find a better place to go than this on a Saturday night. Amen. So I, I stopped going. I stopped going because I was like, you're not doing anything here. You're not dancing. People would come along and try, you know, guys would come along and try to talk to me and pick me up. And I would ask them, are you saved? And then if you are, what are we both doing in here? You know, kind of. Thing. So not too many people came up to me because <laughs> I think the word got around. Don't go talk to her. I don't care what she looked like. Don't go talk to her. So I stopped going. I stopped going because I realized wherever I go, I take God with me. Amen? That stopped me from going to a lot of places. I, I have to tell you that. When I realized that I was taking the Holy Spirit and God with me into those places. So I stopped going. So God's presence will be with us wherever we go. When we obey and when we don't, it still goes with us because he lives on the inside of us. So he's with us wherever we go. So when, you know, you're out there saying and acting up and carrying on, if any of you might do that, understand God's with you. Amen. God is with you. The next thing that we can mix with our faith is belief. The belief in God. And I used this one uh, last week, that Hebrews 11:6 that says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. 
For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We must believe in him. We must believe in him of who he is and what he is able to do. You know, many times when Jesus was healing, he would say to them, you know, do you believe that I can do this? Do you, do you think I, I'm willing to do this for you? And the people would say, yes, Lord. We believe that you can do it. That's why we ask, you know. And it's like, do you think I'm willing to do it for you? And they would say, yes, you're willing to do this. God is willing, but we have to believe. And it's without faith, it's impossible to please him. So we need to mix our faith with our beliefs and our belief systems as well. You know, we we believe that the lights are going to come on when we flick the switch. We believe that the chairs are going to hold us when we sit in them. You know, we're not tentative about it. That's how we need to be about our faith in God. We need to have that confidence in who he is, that he is the Lord of Lords. He is the great I am. He's the alpha, the omega. He's the healer. He's the provider. He's everything. The joy that we have is our strength in the Lord. Our joy in him is what gives us strength. Amen? That's what we need to believe. And we need to solidify those beliefs. Mix them with your faith. David in Samuel, and we're not going to read the whole thing because most of you know this story. It's the story of David and Goliath. You know, and David is is out there and, you know, the the army of the Lord is trembling. And, you know, Goliath is out there saying all kinds of stuff, you know, you know, like, who are you? Who are these people? And David, what I what I really, really like about this story, you know, David tells them all the things that he's done. You know, I've, you know, the Lord helped me kill the lion and he helped me do all of this to spare the flock. And they were like, you know, get out of here, kid. We don't even begin to believe you. But he says, um, but he says in verse, uh, in verse, uh, where do I want to go? Um, Outfitted, no, we don't want to do that. In verse 40, he says, Then David took his shepherd's staff, selected five smooth stones from the brook, and put them in the pocket of the shepherd's pack, and with his sling in his hand approached Goliath. As the Philistine paced back and forth, his shield bearer in front of him, he noticed David. He took one look down on him and sneered, a mere youngster, apple-cheeked, and peach fuzz. The Philistine ridiculed David. Am I a dog that you come after me with a stick? And he cursed him by his gods. Come on, said the Philistine. I'll make roadkill of you for the buzzards. I'll turn you into a nasty morsel for a field mouse. David answered, you come at me with sword and spear and battle axe. I come to you in the name of God of the angel armies, the God of Israel's troop, whom you curse and mock. Then he says, this very day, God is handing you over to me. I'm about to kill you. Cut off your head and serve up your body and the bodies of your Philistine buddies to the crows and coyotes. The whole earth will know that there's an extraordinary God in Israel. 
Now, see, this just said, you know, New King James says, know that there is a God in Israel. The message said an extraordinary God in Israel. That's the God that we serve. So we need to have that same belief that, you know, David is like, you know, they tried to give him the arm armor and stuff. He goes, no, take that off. I don't need that. I've got my God, five stones and a slingshot. That's what I have. That's all I need is my God, five stones and a slingshot. That's all we need. If we mix belief with our faith, that type of belief that David had, that God was going to take care of this uncircumcised Philistine, whatever your uncircumcised Philistine is, God will take care of it when we mix faith and belief together. His word, belief in his word. Mark 1.15 says, time's up. God's kingdom is here. Change your life and believe the message. If we look at it in the uh, New King James Version, which is, is a nice rendering of this verse, it says, in saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Believe in the word of God. God and his word are one. Believe in it. Mix it with your faith. The word that you've heard, the word that you read, the word and your beliefs in it, mix it all together and something powerful will happen. Belief in his promise. First Corinthians, I mean, second Corinthians one twenty says for all the promises of God in him are yes and in him. Amen. To the glory of God through us. Now, I found this little piece and I want to read this to you all God's promises are yes and so be it or yes and truth in him they are always yes and in him they are always truthful not one promise of God is no to the one who will believe and meet the conditions not one promise who will believe and meet the conditions Whatever those conditions are, whatever God has said the conditions are for you, you know, you mix it, mix it and blend it. He's saying it's okay to do that. We can't mix it with fear, though. We can't mix it with doubt. We've got to mix it with a belief in him, in his word, in his promises, because his promises are yes and truthful. Doing works is another thing that we can mix together. Now, people get all confused about works, you know, and they think works is a bad word, you know, because, you know, you've got to ask yourself, why am I doing it? What is my rationale for doing this? Well, James will tell us, James says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word. So we need to be doers. That means some action has to happen. We can't just sit back and hear and do nothing because that's not what the word is all about. The word itself is action-packed and action-filled. So that if you've got the word in you, what it's going to produce is some actions 
or some works. That's why you work. You're not working to get anything from God. It's you're working because you want to please him so much and it's bubbling down on the inside of you and you go, I got to do something for my God. Because you just want to so badly. Now, I've never been married. You know, I've never been married. So when, when I go down this route, you got to know that this is the Holy Spirit because I don't know much about this. But from my understanding, in a marriage relationship, that's what couples are about. Doing stuff to please the other person because they want to please them. They want to do these things for because they love them so much and they know that certain things just make them happy. A certain dish, a certain outfit, a certain whatever just makes that person so happy. So they do that. They do that. And it just brings them joy to see the look on that person's face and they're happy about that well that's what where our works are coming from our works are coming from wanting to please our God just so much in love with him that we're like oh I just want to do something for him amen that's why works aren't bad for anyone verse 23 says for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. And the reason for that is because as you do the work, it's a reminder, I'm doing this for my God, I am doing this because I love him so much. Amen? And that's, that's why we do what we do. Because I know, you know for a fact, when you wake up sometimes, you go, oh, I really, it's like going to work sometimes. You're like, I don't really want to do this. I don't really want to do this. But when you think about the fact, I'm doing this as unto the Lord, I'm doing this for my God, then, I mean, that's what causes you when you're, when you're not feeling well sometimes to get to church. I know for me anyway, I'm like, what am I going to lay here for? What am I going to lay here for? I'm out of here. Because I know for one thing, the corporate anointing that's there will help me get through it. Glory be to God. I'll ask for prayer. They'll lay hands on me and glory be to God. I want to be where I know there's a lot of people and his presence in the same place. Because me in my house by myself ain't getting it. Me in my house by myself is just not making it work. I need more. So when you guys bring what God has given you, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, I walk out well. I walk out well. I, at least I walk out in better shape than I walked in the door. Hallelujah. So that's what works are all about. That's what they're all about. James 2 says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? 
I know for a fact there are times when, you know, I see people in need and I don't have anything on me at the time. My heart just breaks. Well, that is the love of God inside. Those are my works. Those are my works to try to help them and tell them, you know, hey, I have this. This is yours. Praise the Lord that you, you can have this. But when I don't have anything, I'm like, Lord, I'm kind of falling down on my works here. And it's heartbreaking because I know God wants them to know him. And they know him through us. We're the ambassadors. We're the ambassadors. That's why I love those little bags that, that we were carrying around in our cars. We, we made these bags over in Children's Church. And, you know, you put them in your car. There were socks and um, there were just little things in there, in these bags. And that if you saw somebody who was in need, you handed them the bag, you know? And that was a great feeling. You know, and people would say, do you have any money? I don't have any money, but I got this bag. And, you know, there were like little snacks in there, granola bars and stuff like that. I was like, I don't have any money, but you can, you can have this bag. There's some things in here. And most people were like really, really grateful for the bag. And then others were like, no, I don't want the bag. I want money. You know, okay, no problem. But I really would like for you to take this bag. It'll help you. So those, that's where works come in. Works are not a bad word, you know. So our works demonstrate that we have the love of God and the word of God in us and that it is alive and producing. You know, our works are coming out of our factory. For those of you who, who just heard that teaching about going in and coming out, that pastor had the diagram, that's what happens. Stuff goes in from the word of God and out of the factory produces something. It produces something. So we need to be about that. And if we continue on in James 2, and I, again, I won't read the whole thing. You guys have the references. These are great, great examples in here for us. It says, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled. Thus also, oh, filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Verse 17 says, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So we need to mix our faith with doing or with works. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. That's what our works demonstrate. They are not a bad word as long as we're doing them for the right reason. As long as we're not doing them like the Pharisees were doing stuff for all the glory and the attention getting. As long as we're not doing it for that and we're doing it for the right reason is because of our faith. Our faith in God, our love for God, then our works are good. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. And do you want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? 
by his works, faith was made perfect. He, 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 when God said, take your only son, and you know, you know, I've joked about this with you guys before. Many of us would have said, um, okay, the other one, come on, you come, you, Ishmael, you, oh, you mean Ishmael, okay, come on, Ishmael, let's, off we go. No, he said, take your only son, and he took Isaac, because he's talking to the God of the promise and Isaac is the son of the promise so he takes Isaac he lays Isaac on the wood I mean that's how close we got but he had faith in God he had faith in God he had faith in his promise he had a belief in God because God had told him I will make you the father of many well all right you got to take care of this then So our works are a result or a production from our faith. Amen? Noah is another example. When God told Noah to build an ark, the reference for that is is in your notes. He told Noah, I want you to build an ark when it had never rained. Ark, what's an ark? What's rain? I don't know what you're talking about. And God said, I want you to build it. So Noah goes, Sir, I'm on it. And he builds an ark. And they're laughing at him, probably going, what in the world are you doing? What is this for? And Noah goes ahead and he builds the ark. So we need to mix our faith with belief. And lastly, and the one that gets us all, is love. We need to mix our faith with love. 1 Corinthians, yay, 13. And I want to focus, and I got this out of the message, and I put your the entire reference in there for you guys. It's 3 to 8. But I want to read um, 4, 5, and 6. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for itself. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't reveal, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in flowering of truth. We have to mix our faith with love. And not just the love for God, but the love for our brethren. First John says, if anyone boasts, I love God and goes right on hating his brother or his sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. You may not like them very much, but the word says, that you need to love them, that we need to love them. We need to mix our faith with love. So as we mix our faith, the permission from God is that we mix our faith with these things. You're allowed to, and he will still recognize it. He will still acknowledge it. He will still honor it. He will still bless it because 
it's okay to mix these things with love. By mixing the things he has given us, permission to mix, we not only allow him to keep his promises towards us, but we also please him because it's still faith. And the word is clear. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. So when we mix it with all of these things, it's still faith. And he sees it, recognizes it, blesses it, acknowledges it, and goes, ha, I know that. I know that. So this is what we need to do. We need to remember what we can't mix our faith with and what we may mix it with and what will happen when we do that. Two of the other things that I had was endurance because we need to endure you know, sometimes sometimes we think we've endured five minutes, that's enough. But if you look at the examples in the Word, people were enduring a long time. Abraham and Sarah endured a long time before Isaac came along. Christ endured on the cross, but more importantly, Christ endured three days. Three days in the middle of the earth. He was still at that point, I believe, separated from God. That is what was the most painful thing for Christ on the cross, is for the first time in all eternity to be separated from the Father. He endured. He endured that. We've had, you know, Joseph endured prison. And Joseph endured a lot before he came into being second only to Pharaoh in the land. So endurance was one of the ones I had in there. I also had hope in there. We can mix faith with hope. They are different, you know, and it took me a while to get that straight. You know, hope and faith are different. And the word of God makes sure we know that they're different, you know. Because in the verse it says hope, uh, faith is, uh, hope is the substance of things. No, faith is the substance of things hoped for. If they were the same, it would say faith is the substance of things faith for. No, they're different. So hope is one thing that we can mix together. So if you find some other ones, let me know. I'll be, I'll be more than happy to talk to you about them. But please understand and know what you are allowed to mix your faith with and what you're not allowed or cannot mix it with because it changes it and God does not recognize it. Amen? Amen. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for the word that has come forth. We thank you, Father God, that you are merciful, that you, Father, are always wanting us to know more and more about you to learn so that we grow that we go from glory to glory that we become more and more like jesus christ here on this earth so that when others see us they see you and they want to know more and more about you so we thank you father we thank you for your greatness we thank you for your mercy your compassion we thank you for the benefits and blessings that you have poured out on us individually and corporately as a body and we go forth in your name being strong and true ambassadors for you waving the banner of your house father and saying we belong to you and to do all that we can father so that none should perish in the name of the father son and the holy ghost amen